Hello, I am Nicola. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 73 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast, where we take a deep dive into the film chosen by our guest. So now we're going to keep continuing our theme of change, and today we are joined by the wonderful, amazing, incredible Sarah Grant, who has Hi. decided... Oh, sorry, I'm <laughs> walking all over you. <laughs> Who's decided that this episode we're going to be taking a look at Beauty and the Beast. You're so welcome. Say, thank you so much for joining us you legend how are you thank you for having me i'm very excited and thank you for any excuse to do a proper rewatch of beauty and the beast (laughs) such a good one isn't it i forgot how amazing it is i like i have it on so often but it's in the background because i've watched it so often i don't even need to watch it anymore i usually put it on if i'm like doing housework or anything so it's got lovely music and it's a good like oh you've been doing a task for an hour and a half it's time to have a break so this was the first time in ages even though i know the film backwards i actually got to sit and watch it again i just like kind of forgot just how amazing it is to actually just take it in again it was awesome yeah no it really it's i forgot it's one of my favorite disney films like when i was a little girl it was all I wanted to watch that and Milan, but I just <laughs> forgot how many good bits there are. Like honestly, the relationship between like Lemire and Cogsworth, I just love it. It's so funny. It's brilliant. Yeah. I think that so it came out in ninety one, and I was a kid of nineteen ninety, and I really think that my birth signified the best Disney era. Um, it must have <laughs> because in like the nineties, we had like um, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Hercules, Mulan, mm-hmm. Tarzan, The Lion King. Um, don't know if I said Aladdin, but I'm saying Aladdin again. Like so, like absolute dynamite. They called it the Disney Renaissance, and yeah. no wonder. I know. I know. But before we get a wee bit too far into this, Sarah, can you tell us a wee bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, all this kind of yes. fun stuff? <laughs> yes, I can. So I am a writer, director, performer. I kind of have my fingers in many pies. Uh, in television, I work a lot with my writing partner, Katrina Allen, who was also on this podcast and did an episode on Booksmart. And uh, we have uh, a show called Stunners, which is out on iPlayer. Um, in film, I'm working on my first feature with Short Circuit and uh, Screen Scotland called Scare, which I am very close to finishing the draft of, which is very exciting. And I have a book coming out next year with Tippermere Press called Fat Girl Best Friend, which is a deep dive into plus size women in film and television and their purpose as characters and how they're always treated as the best friend character and never the hero or not often enough the hero. Yeah. No, you're slaying it just now you're doing so many amazing things um yeah no very proud of you very excited to see everything else that comes and yes cheeky plug if you haven't already watched stunners watch it it's hilarious and amazing thanks pal (laughs) also is your feature based on your short films with the same title yeah that's right yeah nice it's based um the original short was around the three minutes and the mental gymnastics that your brain goes through if you are having a pregnancy scare and have to wait for a test to develop. So I get to do that w- over a feature length, which has been fun. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, we can put a link to that short in the show notes as well to give people a nice taster, I guess, as well. Oh, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. No, it's going to be really good. I'm excited to see all the good stuff that happens with it. Um, but yes. Shall we dive right in then to yes. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast? So why did you pick the film? Um, I mean, I'm always, t- like, I'm terrible. Like, I can go, see, when I'm at, like, a film event, 
I really hate how film bro I can go. I kind of go in being like, I really hope I don't meet any like, you know, just these guys that just talk about making films and never actually make films. And I always meet one and then I try to out film bro him and I'm like, stop it. So whenever, so I was just like, oh, I'm going on a film podcast. I need to make sure that I don't pick a film bro film. So I chose Beauty and the Beast. But also for my book, I've been doing a lot of work. Um, There's a chapter on animation and one of the big things I was looking into was transformation and how transformation is really essential in fairy tales. And um, But because I'm kind of looking specifically at women in um, in this chapter, I didn't get to talk about Beauty and the Beast, but I've been thinking a lot about it because I've been having to think about transformation and its purposes in fairy tales. So it was just a good excuse for me to get to watch it and actually think about it in a different way that I hadn't before. Yeah. And it really is. It's such a classic and it? it's such a good I know, good it's film. just staple. I was um actually I watched it this morning and um like got out of bed and said to my partner Dev, I was like, uh, do you wanna I'm gonna go watch Beauty and the Beast, do you wanna come with? And they're like, Nah, it's not really my thing and I'm like, <gasps> I beg your pardon, why didn't you tell me this before we got married? Because that would have been a defining factor. But apparently they just it just wasn't one of the ones they watched when they were a kid. So like it just kind of passed them by and I was like get in here and watch this film (laughs) (laughs) did you make them watch it no they came through about halfway through and then they were like oh wow this film really does stand up doesn't it I'm like yeah it does it's incredible I guess it's another excuse to watch it again yes (laughs) you'll watch this from the start as you were saying as well you could look at it as another form of change because it's when like the whole Disney stories changed as well and had like a new vibe going as you said earlier with like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, all these 90s it was this almost like Disney resurgence but the animation kind of tweaked slightly as well it almost became a little bit more real yeah as well there's mm-hmm. um there was a real kind of um look and feel and uh, the lead animator Glenn Keane who I can talk about forever he kind of came into his own and Glenn Keane was the lead animator for the like the really standout characters and I do think it's like him that had a, such a huge impact on it because he animated the beast but he also animated Ariel, Aladdin, Pocahontas, <laughs> Rapunzel and Marahute like the big the big golden eagle and the rescuers down under and just um I think having that kind of like very specific artistic stamp of one person looking after these characters ha- went a long way to like this look and feel last in a full decade. Yeah, no, 100%. Because like, I think as well, the most Disney films before that opened up with an actual book and told mm-hmm. the, like, the backstory through a book, but this does it yeah. through, obviously, the stained glass window, which I'm sure we'll get into and things, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it, it really was like that time that it just kind of like, I think it just came out kicking and screaming, like, and it was just a case of, oh, damn, like Disney's going through a big change and we should pay attention and yeah, yeah. it did just did very 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 well definitely definitely so what what would you give it as your rating out of five out of five? Oh, it's a five mm. it's a, a five. five yeah 100 percent. absolutely think... it's it's top marks it's top marks for me it hits all the right boxes it's structurally perfect and mm. um it's a great kids movie, but it can be a joy by all that. All ad, um, audiences, it stands up even however, nearly like 30 years later, it still is relevant and enjoyable. So definitely yeah. film works for me. 
Gary, what are you thinking? Um, this is a wonderful film. I loved it as a kid. I loved it just as much today. Um, when I was younger, I seen the beast as this cool monster, but I guess uh, as I became more of an adult and started adulting, I kind of see more of like the human emotion in him as well. So I think as well, your perspective kind of changes on this film as you got older. So I would say I'm going to go four and a half out of five. And it loses a wee half point for me for one wee thing, which we'll get into. Okay. Oh, I'm sure we can bring it back up at the end of the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on Sarah's bandwagon and go for five. It has literally been like my favourite film since I was wee. I wanted to be Belle. I was like, I have got brown hair, I love books, I love singing, let me be Belle. But no, I think even like the kind of this is what I love about like Disney films, the gift of watching it as a child and as an adult and finding so many more things to love about it. Like, yeah. it's just like the kind of little bits of adult humor that you get when you're older and, you know, like you can kind of relate a little bit to some more characters and things like that. Like, yeah. Oh, it's such a thirsty film, which you just don't get when you're a kid, <laughs> when you're an adult, you're like, damn. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's just, it's brilliant. Yeah, definitely five out of five for me. So. Nice. Yeah. Well, we're starting high, guys. We're starting high. I know. We don't really have anywhere to go. <laughs> let's just not talk about Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> oh my! Do you know? I was waiting for us to get into that. If yep. we do, but but it's it's maybe not a positive thing. So let's not let's not well, even. To be fair, I, I actually was like thinking about it, watching it this time, and actually as an adult looking, but I didn't think it was actually like that too much. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna go on the defensive mm-hmm. for it. I think it's like more in the remake, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But in this one, there. I don't think it was that too bad. But I'm sure we'll dive in at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, before we before we actually get into all our positives and bits and pieces and dissecting, I'm gonna give our listeners a little synopsis of it. So Beauty and the Beast focuses on the relationship between the Beast, a prince who is magically transformed into a monster, and his servants into household objects as punishment for his arrogance, and Belle, a young woman who he imprisons in his castle. To break the curse, the Beast must learn to love Belle and earn her love in return before the last petal falls from the enchanted rose, or else the Beast will remain a monster forever. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, sherry, and we provide the rest. Let's go! Bonjour! 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 Hello! I want adventure in the great white somewhere. I want it more. As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. I wanna guide a guest So as everybody knows now, we are going to pick three positive points that we enjoyed about the film. 
So, Gary, do you want to kick us off with it? Yeah, I'll go first. So, I just kind of want to talk a wee bit about some of the technical stuff and the design of it as well. We kind of briefly um, spoke about at the start how this kind of, for the time, modernised Disney animations again. I did watch this in HD, um, so I don't know if it's like a proper <laughs> remaster, but I felt like the colours truly pop in this film. Like They are so vibrant from just like the beast's blue eyes to some of the costumes that they wear, but even just the landscape. Um, I also love the pre-story of how the beast became the beast and how it's told through this really stylized animation using the stained glass window, which I didn't realize until this time probably was one of the stained glass windows in his castle, but everything's so dark and dingy for his castle that we don't realize how vibrant that castle once was until the end as well. But there's also just some other really nice details in it as well that like the animation of the castle itself is so well crafted and designed and for the 90s and it being an animation i really love how the snow looks in this mm-hmm. like i'm quite a big gamer as well to go slightly off topic but like water rain like snow these things are really hard to animate and like you know cartoon animation to like cgi and i think that this film really captured small things like that as well. Sarah said at the start that she could talk all day about the, the animation and animator, so I'll leave it there just now and let, let Sarah jump in as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, the production design is amazing in the castle and it's just seeing so much. Well, this is one thing, like, just kind of adding to your point, Gary, as I, find it's, I think it's so difficult in an animation to accurately capture scale because everything's drawn and I think that the scale is outstanding. It's like they, they're not afraid to lose a lot of the kind of characters by making them very, very small in the scene just to kind of see how big the castle is and even just how isolated Belle is in her village when she like, you know, runs um, through the field and that beautiful, like, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere and you see just how much of like a kind of big sloping valley she is. So she's completely out in the middle of nowhere. Um but yeah, I think one of my kind of uh, things that I highlighted was specifically the animation of Glen Keane and the characterization of the beast. Now, Glen Keane, I've watched lots of videos of him talking about his process online, and he describes animators as actors with pencils. So he kind of says that as an animator, you are just this introverted person who wants to be a performer, but doesn't like, would never be able to do it in front of people. So you put these moments in. And like you said, like Gary, that is the fact that when you're watching it as an adult and you get to see like the human emotions in them. And I just think that it's such a difficult character because there's no, they're, you're, they're not basing it off like, you know, human form or anything. It's a completely new thing, but they still manage to get all these like human emotions in things like before he takes her into the library when she's got her eyes closed, he bites his lip in excitement and... Um, like you just all the emotions that are able to kind of capture on his face and there's a fantastic video that I definitely recommend everyone watch and he talks about the process of designing the beast and how that went through so many iterations and um one thing I loved was when he was saying he's like he knew that he had that the prince had to have his original eyes he had to have the human eyes like the windows to the soul you could see who this person once was but he had a lion's mane these boar tusks and this um these like ram's horns but they were like this is really scary can bell fall in love with someone this scary so he said to make him a bit less threatening he gave him cow ears so the beast's (laughs) ears are these floppy little cow ears which now that i've said it you're never going to be able to not (laughs) 
unsee. And I just think whose brain works like that? And to be able to put this thing together, make it look like really, really cohesive, even though it's just a mashing together of lots of different animals and then still make them look human. Like it just, it blows my mind every time I watch it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I actually wrote a list down. So supposedly the full design and correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but it's the mane from a lion, uh, the head of a buffalo, tusks yes! of a boar, yeah. cow's ears, the brow of a gorilla, the legs and tail of a wolf, and the body of a bear. That's amazing! Who thought of that? And the fact I that know. the beast looks like an actual thing and not just like a Photoshop hellscape of like <laughs> lots of animals stuck together. Like, it looks cohesive. Yeah. Genius. That is good. Like even even the bit that you're saying about you know like when for example when he's he's taking her into the library and he bites his lip. Oh my heart! My like heart. to touch on that, my like and this is a scene that I remember. I'll probably remember till like the day that I die. Is that ballroom scene when they're dancing, mm-hmm. and it's just it's an absolute masterpiece of animation because it just it seems like everything like you said earlier, Gary, about the colors. It just pops from her yellow dress to his blue suit, his blue eyes, her eyes, like, and it's the wee moment where she rests her head against his chest, and oh. you can just see like the love and the kind of, oh my gosh, she actually really likes me, kind of just emote from him. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, you know, you you watch it and you're like, some actors, some actual, you know, real life actors can't even get that, and you've given us it in a cartoon. Yeah, like it's yeah. phenomenal and. See even like Lumiere, like oh my goodness, <laughs> the, the the animation of Lumiere is just phenomenal, and that whole sequence of be our guest, um, mm. like because you've obviously kind of got like the dark and dingy around, but then it, it's like full scale, like dancing production, and it just looks phenomenal. Um, this is what I find amazing about the fact that scale is that there's so much movement in it. It's not just watching them dance; mm-hmm. like the camera like moves and sweeps and mm. goes round. So it's just a case of. They don't just have to animate a dance, which is hard anyway. They have to animate a dance through this this moving camera. So it's like they have to, like, they... Oh, I, I don't know how their brain works that with the scale, having to just turn and change angle and change size all at the same time in a series of drawings. It's mm-hmm. mad. <laughs> Absolute madness. Amazing how they lose nothing in it as well, because, like, you look at Chip, who... It's teeny tiny, and yeah. when Chip's on screen, and you can still see, like, the eyes and the wee movements and everything, like you don't lose anything. No, compared to like all the bigger characters and things like that as well. Yeah. Also, like just especially like objects to bring objects to life. Like, yeah, it's mm. it's kind of you can see how like you can take an animal and give it like a, like human features so that we relate to it, but to find like human looking features and like a teacup a candle yeah <laughs> and things oh. like that as well the design of those things must have took time to like study and work out like so that obviously the handle of the cup is chips nose mm-hmm. we we things like that yeah like the clock um what do you call it what are they Cogs- called hands worth Cogsworth like, feet or no no like the actual the... yeah and it's like his mustache or you know what i mean yes. like <laughs> It just it's just genius it's yeah. so so good and like you say also like the feet because you know if he's kind of like a miniature kind of grandfather clock type thing and it's just it's wonderful how they give all the kind of human characteristics to these things and at like, one point at one point he opens he opens his chest and then straightens like the the ticker yeah. like the the <laughs> pendulum like it's a tie and i'm like that's such a human motion like 
but and, um like the brooms as well fifi is it the it's just the way that they move and yeah. it's like you know you've got that kind of idea in your head of like this like really amazing woman who like kind of walks with their hips and stuff just yeah, the way they like, swish why am i attracted to a feather duster why is this feather duster <laughs> sexy i'm confused <laughs> oh my gosh also though when like all these characters got changed into like all these different objects like some of them you must be like why why am i the duster like the yeah. one, like what like I feel wardrobe really, or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How raging would you be if, like, you were the toothbrush? Yeah. Oh my god. Like, don't touch me. Or oh, other objects that we perhaps don't see and don't want to think about. Like, oh, don't even a, get like, into it. There's probably a toilet brush in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I there don't know. A... Does beast still use the toilet? Who knows? Know. <laughs> That's true. It did shit in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is there is a scene like when Belle goes into the West Wing for the first time and she sees all the furniture like completely and utterly destroyed. There's an I element of like, what is it? What has he done? What is yeah. it just I know. Like, this is what he keeps his murdered staff. <laughs> <laughs> I saw like, that actually. It. There was a post on on social uh, social media, whatever wherever the heck it was. I saw the other day, and it was like you see all the animated you know objects and and household things like have living their best life and then they go into the west wing and it's all this absolute destruction it's like what kind of mass murder was this yeah <laughs> yeah oh my gosh like what will that look like after it's all hunky-dory again and nobody's a, a broomstick or anything anymore that's <laughs> like god that's dark <laughs> um but no good good first point I think there's an obvious one that's just a case of like it's good is how good the music is in Beauty and the Beast it was mm. I mean um and it's more it's really poignant as well because it was like Howard Ashman uh, no I always get this mixed up but it's Ashman and Shore Howard Ashman and oh what's the other one it's or am I getting that mixed up Howard Ashman and I'm not sure it's Alan Menken isn't it Alan Menken and Howard Ashman I'm going to just jump in here and say I don't know because, right, because <laughs> as a kid growing up I loved Disney films but I was one of these people like I wouldn't say oh a beast isn't real this this doesn't make any sense I would say people don't sing in the street why right. do people sing it and I used to fast forward all the sing-along parts in every <gasps> Disney film wow. so I've now as an adult come to appreciate the songs more but literally one of my favourite uh, films as a kid was Aladdin and when they started singing, I'm like, fast forward. I just want the story. I can't believe this absolute <laughs> blasphemy that so we're hearing. Much. That is an actual blasphemy. I mean, for, for Beauty and the Beast, for like at the, at the Oscars, three songs yeah. were nominated yeah. for best song, like in the one category. It was for Belle, Be Our Guest, and Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast won it, but it got taken, like, like that song. Also, like, at the Grammys, it was nominated for, like, <laughs> they got nominated for, like, Best Album, like, Record of the Year, Performance of the Year, and then they won, like, a bunch of other ones. And I'm like, at the, can you imagine how raging you'd be finally making it as a pop artist to then get your chance at the Grammys to be absolutely annihilated by a Disney musical? <laughs> <laughs> also, though, that Disney musical as well, can you imagine finding out that, like, you win an Oscar and there's kids at home fast forward and you'd be rich as well <laughs> i do think it's sarah giving you that's the best telling off i've ever heard in my entire life yeah <laughs> I'm just like how, how dare you how could you uh, my my mum used to wonder how i was getting through all these disney films so fast <laughs> <laughs> i was probably watching 15 minutes of actual footage oh <laughs> that's my so god funny. 
So you never got the amazing experience that is Be Our Guest as a child? Not really. Maybe the first time I watched it, you know, because I maybe was sitting with family and I can't just be going down and fast-forwarding it in front of the full group. <laughs> they were like, I don't, they I don't like this bit. Weird. They might think I'm weird. <laughs> oh, oh, no. But yeah, no. the music is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, carry on. <laughs> sorry, yes. like it's completely lost my name. It's like it's Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. That's who it is. I'm thinking of Howard Shore. I'm thinking of the both Howards. <laughs> Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. But it was um, Howard Ashman's final film because he died of AIDS six months before the film even was released. So the film is dedicated oh. to his name. And the remake, mm-hmm. or not the remake, that but they did a kind of like you know DVD remaster, like a diamond edition of the Beauty and the Beast, and they released it with like an extra song in it. Um, that came from the musical and things, and there's like a dedication at the end, and it says like to to Howard Ash to Howard Ashman who gave a, mu- a mermaid her voice and a beast mm-hmm. his soul, and that just sticks with me. It's just, yeah. and it's not even like I mean, as much as like the songs are amazing and things like that. Again, unpopular opinion. I think Be Our Guest is the worst song in the film. Like so but the music is just so powerful as well. That whole the whole moment of transformation sort of thing, like, you know, where he becomes himself again, that's like a that is a score masterpiece. So it's it's oh it's just absolutely gorgeous to just think that like talk about the music all day. It's um and then again at the beginning when you first see the castle in the distance before we go into the prologue, it's just so so emotive. It just mm-hmm. like it just takes you totally on a journey. I think that so I know that um the film was first released at the New York Film Festival, but it wasn't finished. It was like an incomplete version that they were doing audience tests on, but it was so popular. Like even though these kids are watching this, like you know these rough drawings and things, and even bits that didn't even have the characters in it, just had the voices. And I'm like, how can you actually? convince children to kind of watch a film that's not finished and get them to understand it and i do think it's the music that just totally took it um to like to that place i think it also got a standing ovation at at that uh that screening that you're talking about like it was like one of the first things to get a standing ovation that wasn't actually completed you must know you're onto something like pure special Absolutely. Just like, oh, we've done it. <laughs> Disney, all, Disney at that point, where who's writing Beauty and the Beast two? Then who's doing it? <laughs> yeah, there is a Beauty and the Beast two, isn't there? There is Bell's so. uh, Bell's Magical Christmas and Bell's yeah. Enchanted World, or like something like that. Yeah, but, um, it's like the big scary organ, isn't it? Yes, but yeah, they I didn't. They went to they went straight to video release. They weren't like cinematic release. This was before mm-hmm. everything was for a franchise. Yeah, yeah. the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> No. I'm gonna actually. Did you hear how okay. miserable we all were there as you said that? As we're all yeah. just gonna went, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. I'm gonna actually jump on the music point as well because that's um, one of my uh, positives. The way it moves the story along and gives so much information in such a kind of creative and fun way is wonderful. Like Little Town, you literally learn about Belle and her dad within like the first however many minutes of the film and you get the whole backstory and everything mm-hmm. um and like um with Gaston's song as well you know you really get a feel of how much of a twat he is you know yeah. like it's just it's it's a wonderful device that's used throughout as well as being beautiful and really really catchy um and that's such a, like I think it's such a clever thing to do is when you when you get a really catchy song you know, like you cannot literally cannot get it out of your head. And when you've got thousands and thousands and millions of kids 
singing it yeah it's a really good kind of i suppose like advertisement for the film as well um and they are such timeless songs like they're not there's no kind of like because we all know that disney can be a wee bit problematic sometimes um with their older things just 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 a tad but there's no like sort of problematicness within like the music and can i can i throw in maybe a wee spanner on that and i'm not sure but i actually think maybe looking at be your uh, be our guest with fresh eyes because it's really singing about servants who have no like no life yeah. without well, to be they have fair, no yeah. life without without Servitude. feeding people yeah and yeah. they're all jolly about it as they're singing. I said that this morning. I was saying that, like, I was sitting with them, and it's like, oh, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait yeah. upon. I'm like, spot the working class person who wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, not the working class person who absolutely did not write that. That's middle yeah. class all over it. That's yeah. right. Shit all over my point. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, but, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the only parts of it, though. Um, but yeah, carry on, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that no, no. Why, that's my being why I'm not a fan of um, Be Our Guest. Just me as like, you know, a little six-year-old being like, Viva la revolution. You <laughs> <laughs> know, like, I do think that, like, the music in this film is just genius for moving the plot point along and just get letting you get to know the characters and who they are, their backstory. And, and it's also just really, like you say, lovely and beautiful, isn't yeah. it? it? It really transports you into that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gaston's number is great as well because it tells you so much about that character, but it also makes him like such a good. He's like such a joyful villain to watch on screen as well. Mm-hmm. So it really encapsulates you into his character as well. Like you almost love to hate him. Yeah, it's the and same as like as we psychic Lefou. Yeah, he, he kind of he's such a little like I don't even know how to describe him. Just a wee horror, but you're like you're actually quite endearing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're a little rat. You just want to give, you just want to give him a swift kick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love um, the scene where he's been, he's told to wait outside Belle's dad's house, and then it cuts just in the snow, and it cuts back, and he is literally a snowman <laughs> because he's been waiting that long. <laughs> oh oh man. Yeah. The lyrics in, oh, like, there's lots of, like, you know, dirty lyrics hidden in the Gaston song. There's that thing, like, and, and every yeah. last inch of me's covered in hair. I'm like, yeah. damn. And it, like, actually winks at the camera. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's the inch that he winks at. I'm like, well. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, it's just so appealing for, like, everybody. Like, as an adult watching that, you know, I remember my mum laughing at this film. And I'm like, that bit wasn't funny. Why are you laughing? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, no, it's a, it is, it's genius. That's kind of as well, like, it kind of leads into my second point a little bit, is, like, the relatability that people can find in these characters and in this film, like, with kind of respect to, like, Belle and her dad being almost, like, outcasts mm-hmm. and really not, like, kind of accepted in their community. And, like, I remember as a kid being, like, <laughs> like a little bullied, you know, no friends kind of, person and found so much relatability in the character of Belle through like loving books because I remember it wasn't cool to like books and I loved to read absolutely loved it and then like the kind of the beast as well like that kind of gruff exterior of like you know like maybe some kids or adults like that kind of gruff exterior that you're a bit like oh they're a bit kind of intimidating but when you get past the gruff exterior and you meet like this really wonderful beautiful person 
Yeah, that like was me at lot... school. Bit gruffy, but when she got to know me, you know, I'm joking. <laughs> Oh, I don't think I had one hair on Mason until I was about 19. <laughs> and he's not shaved the beard since. Yep, never. That's me. Kept so it. are you saying that when you were a lad, you didn't eat four dozen eggs? No, no I'm afraid not. <laughs> oh, sorry, carry on. No, no, I just, I think, like, like, watching it again as an adult, I'm like, there's wonderful relatability in all this. And, like, see, even, you know, like, Mrs. Potts, for example. Now, I know, like, she's a mum in this, but, like, I just hear Angela Lansbury's voice and I'm like, I want you to be my grandma, mm-hmm. you know? Like, but it's that whole, like, even I think in, like, kids and stuff, like, they find a lot through, like, Chip being that kind of little mischievous, you know, like, kids just living their life and kind of running about in this quite serious situation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think they did a good job of making these characters really human. With Belle, like we've said, that there's quite a lot wrong with like Disney princesses over the years and things. But was she not the first like Disney princess to? I keep doing this in inverted commas because this whole film she's not really a princess until like uh-huh. the end. But the end, yeah. um, was she not like one of the first female characters to actually read a book uh-huh. as well? Like with oh, I could be wrong in that, which was then like saying to kids, you know, it's okay to pick up a book. It's it's not all about films and TV and. Yeah. Like it's it's fun to read and she, she was yeah. kind of the first one that started out as not being the typical princess that we all see. Like you look yeah. at for example like Jasmine or Aurora or or Snow White and they're all not saying like Belle's not beautiful, etc., but they're all very like in that kind of balanced princess position, you know, mm-hmm. of just living like this kind of wonderful life and then like their problem kind of comes along, whereas Belle's in her problem at the start. Yeah, but is living really happily in it. Yeah. Um, and kind What's of a like, problem at the start then? Just out of curiosity, what would you say that is? I would say, well, it's this is a funny one because I don't think it's so much her problem as it is society's problem with her. So mm-hmm. she kind of, I think she finds herself very like alienated from everybody because of the way that she is, because of her father and stuff. But it's more like society's problem with somebody who's different and mm-hmm. doesn't kind of conform. Um, which is again, I think when you look at like Gaston, it's a funny one because he's so like, I need this person, I want this person because mm-hmm. you know I'm going to make her into a trophy wife type of thing um, instead of just kind of allowing her to be herself and and the kind of different way of life, I suppose. Yeah, her only <laughs> escapism from her life is through books. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't really have options financial or otherwise social to leave her sphere so she's just there yeah mm-hmm. no it's interesting that it kind of goes into my second point if that's all right just to jump in as well is like i was trying to work out watching this like again what what is it trying to say and i think it kind of falters away from what it's trying to say which is where it loses the we have mark for me so like in a way, obviously, it's the cliche way of looking at it is this story is about how real beauty is on the inside and not how you look and things like that. But I think it's a little bit more than that. Um, I think it's trying to say find beauty in everything and anything. And it uses Belle like, to do that. So like Belle sees beauty in almost everything. So the books she reads, you know, the mediocre town that, she, that runs the same every day, but she's kind of happy they're singing her songs, she loves her father's inventions, she sees beauty in nature, even this dark haunted castle, she's like 
in awe of it, you know, of her surroundings when she's given that tour. And then obviously she finds beauty in the beast. Um, but one of the problems that I have with that is, like, at the start of the story, Belle is longing for something more. You know, she wants to get out of that town and make more of a life for herself. Um, she wants to see the world and not just settle down. But she almost, at the start, she gives up that freedom of that eh, to rescue her dad when he's imprisoned. But then again, by the end, she gives up her goals to just settle with the prince. And that's where it kind of kind of falls because she is all about like finding out about this whole new world. But she's really went from this small town up the hill to a castle and that's as far as she's going to go. And I'm like, what? Um, and oh, also the, the whole story is set over like two or three days. And that's a fast amount of time to fall in love with someone. Especially <laughs> you know, if you fast forward past all the musical bits. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and just, so this is where I was like, I, I kind of like what the film's trying to say, but I think it loses, by the end it kind of loses itself a wee bit, because... Like, I don't think it does take place over a couple of days, because remember when, when Belle goes out into Little Town, it's autumn, and then when Maurice gets home, it's the turn of winter... And then it's the dead of winter when they do that. So I kind of think it's meant to actually be like a See, season. I don't know. I thought it was like, any time I've watched this, I thought it's a few days. And I thought the forest is like, it's one of those Disney things where the, the forest is always in night and it's always in snow, like to make it scary. But that's mm. an interesting way to look at it as well. Yeah, cause because it's not snowing when she gets there, but it's snowing at the castle when they sing, mm. um, there's something like the maybe something uh, there that wasn't there before and that's they're kind of getting to know each you song <laughs> and that there's a kind of transition there from like you know into this season and stuff and Maurice is like you know planning to come and help her so I don't think it's meant to be a few days I think it's meant to be like you know a month or so which is still a short period of maybe, time maybe maybe because he locks her in the room and then like locks her in the cell then gives her her own room then he's like you will come down and feast with me and then she's like no <laughs> uh, but then that night she goes down mm -hmm. and then like we still don't actually see her eat to be fair but um and then i feel like it's the next day he's back at you know our father's back in the like the town and that but i don't know but maybe, maybe i'm wrong about that it'd be interesting to find out but the other thing on that note is like the beast is clearly like an arsehole over x amount of years and if it is only like two or three days or even just a season he redeems himself and gets everything he ever wanted, you know, by, I don't know, it's just, it's a very male, considering Belle's like her main character, I feel like she has to do all the hard work and he's the one that's like redeemed at the end. I find that really interesting because it takes me out of my third point, but I don't want to get there before okay. anyone else. I'll just, I'll, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll wrap this wee part <laughs> up then, because like Belle has always been like a kind and gentle person who then gives up all her life ambitions, like we've just says, to save the man. Um, and I think the other interesting point of view on this is if you, sorry, the other interesting thing about this is if you looked at it from one of the other characters' point of view is, let's say, Cogsworth, his life is literally on the line and the only way he can be saved is if Belkin survives, like, this beast's abuse and go against her own interests and settle down with him. And at that point, he's currently quite nasty to her. So I think it'd be an interesting point of view to look at the film from, like, one of these other characters as well. Mm. Um, so yeah that that's kind of my second point is I think it kind of loses itself towards the end but I think the fact that it's trying to say like find beauty in everything and anything 
like it's quite a nice message as well mm-hmm. thoughts yeah, <laughs> yeah. my nicola do you mind if i are you just a, you you go ahead you know so my you kind of ahead. third thing is it's a it's a love thing but it's also like a kind of thing because one of my big loves is gaston as the villain and how gaston as the villain and i will hands down say that gaston is the scariest disney villain because of what it says about gender so the thing that's scary about Gaston is that Gaston Belle is the only person in that town that doesn't think that he is the bee's knees he is society he is at the top of the food chain in society with having nothing to earn it just because of like his looks and his stature and he decides that Belle is what he wants because he play he places her as beautiful it's not he says she's the most beautiful girl in town that makes her the best and don't I deserve the best? So he decides that that's what her worth is and it's from the fact that she's beautiful. It totally disregards any of her other qualities. And he's like, um, he's like, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to marry her. And I think the scriptwriters were amazing here because at no point does he ask. He never asks. He chaps her door, but then he lets himself in. He pins her against the wall and says, say you'll marry me. And he says your dreams are about to come true and then tells her what her life's going to be like but at no point does he ask her about it then he also says that they'll have six or seven strapping boys like him so it's a case of like this is what women are to provide the boys it's not for so you can tell that it's a kind of thing and um when he goes to defeat the beast it's because Belle seems to care for care for the beast Mm-hmm. but then when he kind of says did you like bell is mine and i'm like at no point does he ever take into consideration bell as a woman's wants because they just don't at any point track so that's why i think he is the scariest villain ever because he doesn't have any little like dastardly nefarious plans or anything he just is that's just what society has placed him as and he is the worst and similar vein is frollo from the hunchback of notre dame mm-hmm. because he he sees his ultimate right to get what he wants which are selfish reasons because he is ordained by a holy order he has he has the moral superiority of religion to like confirm that that's what he wants and gaston's a society and it just like takes away um any of bell's wants so what i find really great is that yes bell is in a care she's a woman so she's in a caring role she's kind of in caring role for her father <clears throat> even though she's happy to do so and she instantly gives up her freedom um for she gives up her freedom for this uh for like you know to let her father go because she's worried about him getting sick in a dungeon and then it's even though she's kind of there in the live action they do a thing where she tries to escape mm-hmm. and then like she does kind of come back but it's a case of, I think, that she kind of sees that there could be a friendship that develops. So as much as she's kind of the prisoner element here, it's still a better and safer place than her village in society. So it's not so much that she's kind of not got any choice as I think that she's got a choice. She's kind of seen that this situation is actually the best thing for me. Her adventure in the Great Wide Somewhere is somewhere that has access to books, that has access to conversation, that has access to people who treat her like a person. And as much as the Beast is this asshole to begin with, everyone who's like the the positive voices around him are like, you need to change your ways because you're never going to get anything that you want by acting this way. So I don't think that Belle does actually have to do anything. She just has to go and she just sticks to her guns. He's like, you'll have dinner with me. She says no. The staff are like, can you change your manners and can you ask and can you say please? And he does and Belle still says no. And then when he's like, you don't eat, if you don't eat with me, she goes and eats anyway. So she's just like, she's the one that kind of gets to like actually live 
in this space of like and she's kind of like I've got nothing to lose here because if I get if you kick me out of this gaff then I just have to go back to what's actually worse for me where I where I will will literally be forced down the aisle and no one in the town will step in to stop so I think that that's actually like a really important thing and it's the beast that changes his attitude Belle just has to be herself and she actually has the space to be herself and being herself is encouraged and then the only thing is the only thing that kind of comes into contention is that in this situation, I don't get to see my father and I would always choose to see my father. So then he remedies the situation and things. I think that there is obviously that um, horrible thing about the fact that it's not just his choices, the fact that everything else relies on, like everyone else's lives rely on this relationship. But I think that there's not really much they can do to that. You can't make someone fall in love. So as much as they're trying to like help in other ways, a case of if it's no happening, it's no happening. Sorry, this is the best kind of choice. So I think that the way they approach gender in the film is incredible. Also, according to Wikipedia, there is no, in literature, theatre, film, there is no gender swapped story of Beauty and the Beast because if you mm. gender swap it, the story completely changes. Whereas yeah. if you have... A woman who loses her beauty, she loses her worth in this mm -hmm. scenario. So no one wants to marry her. So it's a case of if a woman lost her worth, then all the pressure would be taken off her to fulfill her societal role. And she'd actually have the freedom of not being beautiful. And that's what Belle suffers with. She doesn't have any freedom because she's beautiful. And therefore she's get put into this societal role. So I think, I, I actually think that Belle getting kidnapped type thing or kind of like giving up her freedom and going that is the freedom that she needed to actually just live her best life yeah and i kind of agree with that as well like there's one part as well where gaston can i can't remember the line that he says but he slides up because she's reading and it's almost like what use is that or yeah. something like that yeah and with the whole thing of like falling in love with your kidnapper as well in this story her dad breaks into a castle and basically is held hostage for it then she goes to save him and then, you know, there's kind of a contract put in place, I'll let your dad go and you can be the prisoner instead and you will pay the punishment, basically. But I would say she doesn't actually fall in love with him either. And I know this is kind of cliche for Disney, but it's until he rescues her from the wolves, mm -hmm. but then she actually saves him as well. So there's mm -hmm. that part where the two of them save each other mm -hmm. and then feelings from Belle's side starts to change. So it's not almost falling, falling in love with your kidnapper, but almost your rescuer. Yeah. And it, like and that's and like that's the thing. Like after she decides to go back to the castle, it's a case of things are going to change from now on because they pure bellow at each other and it's like you shouldn't mm -hmm. have done this and you shouldn't have done mm -hmm. that. So she stands up for herself. So even when he's pure screaming in her face, she's like, Shut up, don't talk to me like that. Yeah. And then it's a case of like, I will stand up for myself, you don't get to talk to me like that, but I will also say thank you because you helped me out there. This is mm -hmm. a mutual this is a two way thing here. And mm -hmm. I think that that's how their relationship starts. No, totally, totally. It's good that we're, sorry, Lingo, I was just no, 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 it's good of... that we're all in the same the same boat with that. Aye. That's good. <laughs> no, I was gonna say like that kind of leads on in and about way to my like third point is the timelessness of this film. Because it has so many issues, themes, like relatable characters, circumstances, situations, etc. that I think somebody from any era, any background, any sort of anything could find like appealing or that they would it, they would enjoy watching, they would find themselves in like that kind of like it's it's quite remarkable how timeless they've made it. Um mm -hmm. 
because you look at some other Disney films um, and like for like you kind of I don't want to like shit all over stuff but like look at like Snow White and like I watch it and I'm a bit like "Ah, I don't really see myself in that or like you know it's a good film but it kind of doesn't really move forward and obviously things like Peter Pan and stuff like that don't really move forward into like this kind of modern era and way of thinking and stuff but Beauty and the Beast kind of sticks the test of time um for a multitude of different reasons and I think that's quite just like from the writing like we all have agreed the animation's incredible like you you don't watch it and go god this is a really old film it it kind of stands up to today's standards um mm-hmm. for different things so I think it's it is quite amazing how how it does stand the test of time and how like I mean I remember watching it when I was like what let's say like five like 20 years later mm-hmm. still love it yeah you know still find so much joy in it um, I think you're right I think you're right that it stands the test of time though because it was the demarker if you think about the film that came before it it was The Little Mermaid and Ariel's <laughs> like I'm 16 I'm not a child I'm going to find a random guy swimming in the ocean and change my entire life and give up my voice for this person and I love him even though I have known him for five seconds when he was unconscious <laughs> And then Belle came along and then afterwards there was Pocahontas and there mm-hmm. was um, Jasmine and there was Mulan and there was Meg. And oh, I yeah. do think it was like Belle was the starting point mm-hmm. for changing the way, that, like the voice of the Disney princess. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why it stands the test of time because it is like it was the demarker. Yeah. If that yeah. if this was the marker then, what would you say needs to be the next change? Obviously they've started doing a bit of like diversity in that in there, but more than that, what do you think if Disney were to like, you know, keep moving forward as in the same way the Barbie dolls have now got mm-hmm. like, you know, Barbie dolls that are maybe have certain disabilities or, or whatever mm-hmm. else as well. What do you think the next thing is think... for the Disney princess or prince or prince now? Mm-hmm. Do you want to take it, Sarah, or do you want me to start? Or I know exactly. Okay, how about we say it at the same time because I have a think it's going to be the same time. One. <laughs> no, in case it's not. <laughs> you just you, go. You, you go. go. One. No, no. I'll count you down. I'll count you down. Three, <laughs> two, one, go. Queer representation. Queer representation. <laughs> there you go. it. <laughs> like, literally, I think, y- you look at it just now and it's making strides towards it, but it needs to be queer it's, representation. Like, it's not. Like, as much as it's... Like, if anyone's making a stride towards it, like, Disney is an evil corporation that runs sorry, by this. I don't mean it's making strides towards queer representation just now. It's making strides towards other things. Like, yes. for example, it's, it is putting, like, your kind of everyday... Like, Turning Red. Oh, you know, Turning Red is a perfect film. Oh. It's, it is, it has, like, paved the way for new kinds of films like that to come into the world but it still has got such a problem with queer representation and there was so much speculation around like Elsa you know is she queer is she not queer and it's kind of obviously left up into interpretation but I just think Disney's got a big bee in their bonnet about it and another another representation of how much they're not showing like queer or anything like that is um the remake of Beauty and the Beast but like we have a gay character and I think is there one kiss on a cheek or something like that in the remake yes. of this and that's it and they're like well that doesn't say anything oh they don't it's not even a kiss it's not even a kiss no. on the cheek it's they just dance with each other as they well dance. don't they oh, and that was banned right. in like four countries because I was about to say like the backlash yeah. and I mean we look at the backlash that's just come with the live action Little Mermaid so there's still so much work and change that needs to be done they, and it's oh people are idiots yeah <laughs> Like I think, I think there's a multitude of answers to that question, Gary. But yep. queer representation is a big one because it's starting to touch on things like 
um, ethnicity and race and you know like we have had in the animated world back then like different diversity in um, culture and and stories in that but so do you think as well here's another question then and I'm not disagreeing by the way with Mm -hmm. what you're saying Um, but I'm just going to throw out there obviously Disney is a business and it's all about money 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 and well Mm -hmm. when there's these countries that are banning stuff like because of a dance, like until that those bans stop happening, like obviously Disney's going to lose millions of pounds in countries all mm. over the world with that. So does it does the change need to come as well with these countries first? So is it, or do you think Disney should just lose a bit of money? I think yeah. that comes down to what we were saying earlier about when we all sighed when we we're talking about franchises and you know like the corporation and stuff. Like you look at a, I don't even want to know how much money Disney it Disney has in the bank, but. When you look at the Ara Bank, <laughs> literally, <laughs> but like you look at it and you go, would this loss majorly affect you? And also, would this loss really be a loss for you? Yes, financially potentially, but you're also then paving the way for new things for for people that are loyal fans and you know love Disney content and. I just think like it's not a scary thing. I mean, Sarah and I are both, you know, queer, so we we talk from the perspective of that. But I mean, I would have loved being a little kid and seeing that kind of character and representation on the screen. Yeah, you know, it, it, I think it, the payoff with that is so much more than any amount of money could ever give you. I think I think Disney are in the habit of funding, or their CEOs and the people in their boards are not good people at all Mm. they are they are actively funding the don't say gay rule they are massively on the wrong side of this so it's never going to come from a place of business it's going to come from a place of morals that is entrenched in the American political system and that's a whole different argument but I think (laughs) that when it comes down to whether it should be these countries that change first or whether it should be Disney it has always been the case is that you can't be what you can't see so I think that if Disney are going to take strides forward and be unapologetic in the representation and being like, well, this is the stand we are taking because, and you can get behind it or you can not fund our business, that's fine. Then that's going to put way more pressure on these countries and these people, these haters to change their attitudes. And it's also going to present it in a way that is story and human focused other than pressure on Disney's bank account. Like it's, like there will be and also they're going to get again they're going to reap the benefits in terms of what happens when you are a progressive brand in terms of brand loyalty and return and people who are going to support you and come out and fight for you if you are on the side of the activists they will they will show up for you so it's a smart move but it's not being made i mean there is pushback on a micro level i mean another one for me if it wasn't queer representation that would be body representation i mean that yeah. as plus size bodies and non like uh, non-able bodied yeah and um seeing more of that on screen and we are getting more of that if you look at the background production design of burn of turning red it is very 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 disabled friendly um mm-hmm. in terms of its design and its characters and things in the background it's lovely and there's even a bisexual romance in there mm-hmm. which is again it's a background thing and it's it's trying it's not really um, doing enough but I think for me it'd be really good to kind of see that and I know that there was already pushback for Encanto and Encanto 
the, the Disney executive were wanting a more streamlined version of Louisa, who was muscly, who her superpower yeah. was that she was ultra strong. So obviously they made her character design someone who was really buff. And they were like, no, we don't want that. It's a magical family, so she can be magically strong and thin. Mm -hmm. And they pushed back saying we would like this because we know that it makes sense for the character and there is give. So it's just a case of like, people just need to keep doing these small bits of pushback and making sense for these stories and these mm -hmm. characters to exist. They subsequently won with Louisa as well it because won. the merchandise sellout after, I remember reading because there was all this stuff like, you know, Disney was backlashing against their own kind of product and like, no, we never wanted to really do this. Like this was a suggestion we followed through to kind of see what happened. And then the crowds loved it. You know, Everyone it really Louisa. became. She was the more popular one. Um, I remember there isn't of... like I've read it before, but I've I researched it again for like you know I was looking at it for um for something I was working on, and it's an mm -hmm. urban myth. So I've no idea where it came from, but I have heard this myth as well. Like that that um thinking that children would be more drawn to the flowery yeah. and beautiful and traditional Isabella they upped their merchandise of Isabella compared to Louisa and then they really struggled because they sold out of all the Louisa dolls <laughs> and had this excess of Isabella that people weren't relating to but I don't think that's true but that's coming from somewhere so mm -hmm. there's clearly an attitude there being like it's a shame that we almost never got that because it's really important mm -hmm. yeah okay. I think as well with like Disney and uh, these other big companies is they push for the easy money. They go for the easy money. That's why we get so many remakes and stuff. And yeah. like whatever the next Disney remake is, it, it doesn't matter if it's good because um, it'll make £10 million anyway just because people will rush to see it because it's another Disney thing. So they'll always go for the easy money. But I do agree um, that there needs to be pushback. And that's a nice segue to go back to Beauty and the Beast because <laughs> at the start, um, at the start when we had that stained glass window, mm -hmm. that was a push as well. They originally wanted it to be that fairy tale book opening, and then they went towards oh, the really? stained. Yeah, and that's where it changed. So from Beauty and the Beast, I think uh, what was after that, Sarah? I think you mentioned it. After um, it was Aladdin. I think was next and, where they had the introduction was with it? John, um, uh, Robin Williams. Yeah. So again, they changed it again and kind of moved away from the fairy tale. So it does show that pushback uh, and fighting for like different rights for your film, whether it be creatively, politically, or whatever. Like, should you should definitely think for what you believe in, especially if you are the ones like writing or directing or, or making these as well. Yeah, it is a shame to put so much of the emphasis on the creative teams that overall don't have that much power. But again, these are the people who are the brave ones. They're the ones. They're the actors mm -hmm. of the pencil. They're the they're the ones actually bringing it to life because it's that sort of thing. Being like we've been talking about this film that is really just paper, and that mm -hmm. baffles. That just still blows my mind. But it's just amazing that they are the ones that have all the power to bring these films to life. So it's a case of like you're the, gonna have to be the ones fighting the battles. Totally. We stand behind you and support you. Definitely. And um, it is it's it, I mean, it's not even like kind of lazy intro to film, but it's just wonderful seeing what they do with it now with the intros to films. Like mm -hmm. for example, the stained glass window is it's it it for being so different and also being so relatable, like you said, Gary, like it could have been a stained glass window from the castle. You look at Aladdin with the start with it's the kind of uh, what is he a merchant or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Like that kind of just immerses you right so into it funny. from the get go. Oh, apparently they like a wee segue, but apparently they just let Robin Williams into the studio and just went on you go. Yeah, <laughs> I find that wonderful. 
the um the lead animator for a wee random side note but the lead animator for that was also the an animator on Pinocchio. So at <laughs> one point when um Robin Williams said like just like was having a laugh in the studio and Aladdin's like, I'll set you free. You went, all right, uh, whoop. And then they, like, the guy just knew what he was doing. So then had the genie's head transform into Pinocchio. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. so funny that that just came from Rob Williams being absolutely mm-hmm. mad. It is wonderful. I do love him. Do love him. No, no, Pinocchio is my favourite Disney film. It's, is it? Oh, yeah. it's so scary. It used to terrify me. Oh, my good so God. See, with the donkeys. Like, oh, oh no. Yeah. I would cry. I yeah. would cry. I think that was why it's like my favourite because it really, it really did like <laughs> uh, create an emotion out of me, whether that be fear or whatever else. But it was one that stuck with me. Yeah. So, yeah. and then <laughs> I quite like as an adult now. I quite like a lot of horror. So maybe there was something there. Maybe Pinocchio. Pinocchio was my way into Awaken the horror genre. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can go with my third point now. Is is that all right? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, mine is just a nice, sweet, easy one. It's some of the symbolism in Beauty and the Beast. So, obviously, we've got Rose as like the symbol for love in this, and um, but there's more interesting things that I found. So, when Gaston falls into the swamp, uh, his face emerges as like a pig, mm-hmm. and he is mm-hmm. a bit of a pig in it, right? So mm-hmm. that kind of works as well. I like the idea that Chip has got a chip in him, and like he's the mm-hmm. only teacup we see being used and to me that's like even with a flaw he's good enough mm-hmm. as well um Aww. then with like the candlestick as well he's like the only light left in the beast's life right now as well <laughs> cogsworth is the the time that the beast has left as well um when gaston's in the pub and he sits in his chair it's made of like animals fur and horns and there's like a bear rug and like out in front of him there's like deer heads surrounding him and to me that is like kind of symbolizing he is the real beast of this film you know it's him like we said earlier he is like the antagonist of it he is really the animal that's in this um did any of notice any other ones because then i've got a wee bit of one that's a bit more maybe out there but if there's anything else you just notice before i go into that the enchantress at the start how like she appears is like this kind of like crippled old woman before she kind of cast the curse on him and it's kind of I suppose it's symbolic of his ugliness almost like actually in this physical form and it's his ugly nature that's kind of coming to meet him head on and going you have an opportunity here to change and and really turn over a new leaf without having to be forced and he doesn't take it and then subsequently his ugliness then manifests into the beast so yeah. Yeah. I think it makes me a bit of symbolism for you there. No, I like it. Yeah, I like it. So my last one is the animate the the objects, the you know, the animated objects in it as well. And I thought could they be a symbolism for the beast's cracked mind in isolation? Right? Maybe it's because we've just been in COVID for so long. <laughs> but literally he is in this castle by himself. He can't leave because of how he looks. He's a bit kind of trapped there as well. So he's nobody to talk to, so he starts talking to household objects. And they are all kind-natured as well, like the personalities and emotions that they have is what he finds hard to express as well. So I thought maybe they are kind of like an idea of his split mind, you know. And I know it doesn't really work because Belle 
speaks to them when she arrives, but so that messes up that whole idea. But then <laughs> she again, speaks to the, she speaks to the character ones, the ones with eyes and human features and mouths and things true. like that. But she doesn't ever acknowledge the coat rack. No, in fact, oh, yeah. he plays her the violin things. But um, yeah, there's but, other things that come to life that aren't. But it's okay mm-hmm. because Sarah might have fixed my idea of how that doesn't work because. <laughs> If it is more than two or three days, then she's in isolation for a long time as well, and then we start talking <laughs> to the objects. Um, but I kind of just like that changed. idea of, yeah. like, you know, he has no one to talk to, so rather than, like, it's like when you see people talk to talk to themselves in the mirror, right, only mm-hmm. he's kind of created these household objects and gave them life, but it's mm-hmm. on his mind because he needs, he needs someone to talk to. Yeah. I know it's out there. Yep. Well, that, I think that works because one of the things I wasn't think I was thinking, I guess you could say the castle. I guess the symbolism is like you know of, of a horrible home in which is the society that says that they're ugly, that they're yep. ugly, and that Belle's only worth is her beauty, and that Gaston is someone that's like you know really high up. But then when the case whenever when they kind of be together and are happy in their home, that's when and they kind of almost like ignore society's expectations on them, and they kind of like get to start afresh then that's when their home transforms into something beautiful. So, like, but again, that kind of works because if you're trapped in this horrible society, then you'd look for kindness, which makes sense for your suggestion that he's looking for kindness in inanimate objects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where he lives sucks. <laughs> I think one more maybe piece of symbolism, this could again be a reach, but I think it's quite interesting, the kind of symbolic nature of when they have the fight with the wolves, how these wolves are actual beasts, you know, they are actual animals that, you know, hunt, prey, etc. But they're up against beast. Like they they they're not aligning with him. So I think like it is kind of symbolic in that there is still goodness in him. There is that part of humanity that's still there. He's not fully all the way gone. Yeah, you know, yeah. I kind of like that idea as well. With it being like wolves at the door, but you can get rid of these wolves at the door. But when the actual townsfolk come, they manage to get in mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. they're like almost worse than the wolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the wolves are just looking for a scran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they just look for a scran. That's quite funny. Um. So yeah, does anybody after? all those lovely three points. Does anybody think that there's anything else you want to discuss or any other kind of bits that you want to add into that before we... Um, I've got two wee things. One is, it's interesting that Gaston stabs our hero, literally stabs him, because I feel like in business stuff now you would not see that on screen. Mm. Um, so we were a wee bit more violent back in the 90s. Maybe it's coming off all those 80s action films. Disney were like, yeah, should probably stab in there. <laughs> to be yeah, fair though, you're, you're, you are right. So isn't it the only time that you see blood? Because you see well, blood from his wound. You see it in Atlantis as well. You see it in Atlantis. Oh, do when you? They're, when they're shooting the guns, um, you see blood nice. at some point, I think. Um, but yeah, that's quite interesting. Like, the, I think they officially they officially credit Mufasa as Disney's first on-screen death. Although technically the beast dies before mm-hmm. the petal falls and is kind of like you know brought back to life. But with Muf- but with Mufasa, you don't even see him like hit the ground or anything. You don't. He doesn't look like anything yeah. apart from sleeping. True, mm-hmm. true. Yeah, about a gnarly um, in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my last thing is, if Mrs. Potts is Chip's mother. How many children does she have? Right, I was wondering this as well. Into the cupboard with your brothers and sisters. Yes. Why? There's like 75 in there. Oh my God. 
And my other thing on that that confuses me is how long has Beast been Beast? Yeah, that's weird because there's a time demarker. It says that mm-hmm. he, it would blo- the Rose will bloom until his twenty first year. Yeah, right. He's he's like a prince, so I imagine he's a spoiled prince. So he can't be any more than a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like or like, I guess he could be more than a teenager. But I always imagined like you know what sixteen, seventeen. It's like oh, this yeah. is going to bloom until your twenty first year, and I'm like, it's hardly a life sentence. So. <laughs> How did how did Chip become Chip? Like how because like if they all turned into an, like if they all turned into objects, then that was clearly Chip when he becomes human again. He looks about four. Uh-huh. Just because they're objects doesn't mean that they can you know they can't do it. <laughs> they can't so, do it, Gary. So then who is who is Chip's father? Mister Potts. Mister I. That's something they actually covered in the live action that I thought was good was um, mm-hmm. in the prologue, it's Emma Thompson who plays Mrs. Potts that voices mm-hmm. the prologue in the live action and what she says is she adds in that the Enchantress causes the local village because it's just a case of why did they not know that there's a prince in a castle up the road from them? They kind of say <laughs> yeah. that she erased the memory of them and then you have this like wee person wandering about the village being like, I have this feeling I've forgotten something and it's Aww. because Mrs. Potts works at the uh, castle so he's forgotten his wife and he's just like so and he's wandering around thinking that he's forgotten something and it's because he's been forced to forget her and i'm like i really like that that was that was one yeah. that's one thing i was like all right live action we'll give you points for that that was oh. points that was points they did it like, i will say this the live action actually did like you know fill in some really crucial oh, yeah. plot points and stuff like that wasn't yeah. necessary if in the slightest but i did appreciate they did that because <laughs> the other thing is maybe Chip was that age when the transformation happened and everything doesn't age. Yeah, that's like, what I was going to say as well. Maybe but then things... when then Belle like, marries like a 16-year-old then at the end. Right, it's like... How old is Belle? Is she not six? No, she's slightly I older. Yeah, she'll be know. older. She'll be like the kind of like, you know, in the story she's 16, we're going to make her ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> she could be anywhere to 21. Um, yeah, no oh dear. Yeah, that but that's, that's my only notes. <laughs> yeah. So, has anybody's ratings changed, or are we sticking to our guns here? I'm sticking four and a half. I think I'm no. going to stick to my five. I, th- I I think if there wasn't such a personal connection, I'd be more on Gary's level with the 4.5, but for <laughs> they get the, the extra half point for like sheer sentimentality is there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I'm sticking to my five as well. Because if it was Pinocchio, I would probably be like, five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> five out of five, I shit myself. Yeah. <laughs> no definitely cool so we will take a little break right now and then we'll be back with the quiz and some creative recommendations here now oh don't do that just hold still that hurts if you'd hold still it wouldn't hurt as much well, if you hadn't have run away this wouldn't have happened if you hadn't frightened me i wouldn't have run away well you shouldn't have been in the west wing well you should learn to control your temper now hold still this might sting a little mm-hmm. by the way thank you for saving my life You're welcome. And so we're back for our quick fire quiz round where Gary and I will ask Sarah five questions each based on the film and 
remember Sarah, it's just for fun, so don't quick don't fire. Oh Lord, <laughs> I don't do I do well under pressure, but I don't do well when I'm observed. So I'm gonna be like jellyfish hairbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine, hen. Right. So, why was the beast cursed? He turned the old woman away when she asked for shelter. Good on you. Um, when was the film released? 1991. Yes. What's the name of the first song Belle sings? Um, Belle. I think it's, it's the little town one. Yeah, that's right. What was the name of Belle and her father's horse? Philippe. Yes. What wing of the castle is Belle not allowed in? The West Wing. Yep. What is Beast's surprise for Belle? The library. What's Belle's father's name? Maurice. Yep. What colour is the beast's eyes? Blue. Yes. What type of flower does the enchantress pus- cast the spell on? The rose. Yeah. And who plays Mrs. Potts? Angela Lansbury. Yay! I think Yay! that was a, a, a correct all the way there. Good yeah. on you. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I was honestly ready to be like the bit the, the story originates by Gabrielle Suzanne de Villeneuve from the seventeen forties. Geek level supreme. So you are our first guest with um, Nicola to get ten out of ten. So we'll keep a record of who does it all. So yay! Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, Gal. No. So to round off here, I think it is a nice time to give our creative recommendations. Um, so Gary, you going first yes. or would you like me to take the lead? I will go first. So my creative recommendation is a book. Uh, it's the first time I think I've recommended a book, but I'm going on holiday um, on Thursday and I'm taking this book with me because I'm enjoying it. So it's called Peterhead Porridge and it's about some <laughs> of the weirdest stories in Peterhead prison which is a Glasgow prison but it's all about the funny stories so it's the funny side to prison life which is like a nice I was going to say positive part of prison but usually when you read like read or watch anything to do with prison it's very negative and mm-hmm. depressing mm-hmm. so it's quite nice to see someone that's come out of prison with all these funny stories and put them into a book so that sounds yeah. amazing yeah. yeah so I'm really enjoying it and it's got some real good Glasgow pattern and stuff in it as well so nice yeah. nice Sarah? I'm going to recommend an animated short film that's um, available on YouTube just now. It's called Duet and it's by Glenn Keane, who's the lead animator from Beauty and the Beast. Um, Disney uh, Google approached Glenn Keane and says, we want to make something with you, but we want to push the bounds of technology and we'll figure out what you did, what is with you. So Glenn Keane animated at 60 frames per second, a 360 story that is about two characters and how they grow up from babies to adults and how their lives touch points throughout the way. If you have a VR headset, you can watch it and you can turn your head and you can see both stories playing out at the same time. But there's a kind of cinematic release version that you can just watch on YouTube. Um, So it's called Duet. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's, yeah. And um, if you enjoy Disney animations uh, from the 90s, then you will love it because it's Glenn Keane and it's wonderful. Sounds nice. absolutely incredible. Definitely want to check that out. Um, and yeah, so my uh, my creative recommendation is actually a TV show, uh, a TV series rather. It's called Winona Earp and I have loved it since I first discovered it in 2015 or 16, I think. It's got 
four seasons of it and it's just wonderful it's a western sci-fi it is full of such like quick-witted hilarious kind of jokes like the situations they get themselves in are just ridiculous but also like really interesting like it's full of action it's female-led it has queer representation the house down boots like it's it is amazing it's it's just wonderful it's quite a a diamond in the rough of a of a tv show um and it's just so the lead actress melanie scrofano plays winona earp um dominique provo chalky uh, plays her sister waverly she's actually a british actress and um, it's all canadian based as well based in canada they shoot in calgary um and the showrunner emily andrus was the showrunner for lost girl as well um right. it's got it's got a really diverse cast as well um but yeah just it's it's wonderful it really is and it's not it's not super random it's based on the the Arab curse um and how they basically need to eradicate the curse and so that they can have they can be free um and yeah there's a character doc holiday who was a real life gunslinger um so he's in that as well but yeah doc it's really holiday. cool what a great yeah. name yeah isn't it it's brilliant he was a i think he was a I don't know if he was a dentist or a doctor or something like that, but he was like an actual gunslinger. Um, nice. So was Wyatt Earp. He was a gunslinger. Um, but yes, that is my recommendation. Nice. Definitely check it out. And where can you watch that one? Sorry. So I believe it is on Amazon Prime. There, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. Okay. Um, but if you look it up online, I'm sure you could find a sneaky way to watch it. <laughs> it was definitely on Amazon Prime though. Um, so nice. Yeah. So yes, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us um, and for picking Beauty and the Beast. It's been wonderful. Um, it's been but lovely yeah, can... to talk about it in such lengths. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you let our listeners know uh, where they can find you on social media so they can keep up to date with all the wonderful stuff you're doing just now? Yes, my kind of social media handles all centre around Sarah Grant Creative. There's a couple of different ones. So on Instagram, I'm Sarah Grant Creative. My website is sarahgrantcreative.com. And on Twitter, I am SG Creative. No, S Grant Creative. Amazing. Nice. Thank you so much. So yeah, I am Nicola and you can follow me at Nick underscore Doherty on Twitter and just underscore another underscore Shorty21 on Instagram. And I'm still Gary and you can still follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Pro. And just before we sign off, I just want to say I put out a poll today on Twitter actually say asking what's better, Beauty and the Beast, the original or the remake? And it's came back 100% the original. <laughs> so, Correct answer. There you go. <laughs> As it should be. As it should be. Yeah, if, if our listeners are loving what they're hearing, um, please subscribe and share what we're doing. Um, and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to rate and review the podcast. And you can also leave comments on our Facebook group, which is Choose Film Podcast. And you can follow the podcast at Film Choose on Twitter and Choose Film Podcast on Instagram. You've been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join in next week where we will be talking about Slumdog Millionaire. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Goodbye.